The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. O God, our Father, we declare your praise as the God who has the power and the might to still the storms that uh, threaten to sink us. We praise you, Father, that uh, you are a great and living God, that your Son has come among us, God incarnate, that he has uh, walked among people like us, full of fears, full of sin, full of guilt, but Jesus, full of holiness, full of power, full of grace, has stilled the storm. And we pray, Father, that you will write these words of hope on our hearts as we reflect on them in these few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to our guests. We're glad that you're spending at least a part of your day with us here, sampling what life on the Westminster Seminary California campus is like. We're just delighted that you are here. And uh, we uh, gather uh, for morning devotions uh, each Tuesday and Thursday morning all together. And then on Wednesdays, we get together into small group prayer uh, with faculty, with their advisees on Wednesdays as well. On Thursdays this semester, the faculty is uh, working through various uh, narratives from the life of Jesus in the gospel according to Mark. And I would uh, like to spend just a few moments directing your thought to Mark chapter 4, Verses 35 through 41, as you could tell from what we've sung in Psalm 107, this is the account of Jesus stilling the storm on uh, the Sea of Galilee. And God's word says to us, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we're perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God write his words on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who gave us these words through the pen of his servant Mark. Well, in theological education, Uh, we would call this experience of the disciples field field education. There's classroom teaching, and then there's getting out where the rubber meets the road. And the, the, the previous part of Mark 4 has been more like classroom instruction in that Jesus has been teaching the character of the kingdom through a series of parables, especially emphasizing that the kingdom of God would come in a surprising way not in overwhelming power, not in violence that will expel the Roman oppressors from God's holy land, but in weakness, in the kind of weakness of 
seed that could be stolen by birds or choked out in the hearts of people who at least initially seemed to be interested in it by thorns and thistles or, or perhaps even withered by the heat of persecution. It, it looks so weak, the word of the kingdom, the word that the sower comes to sow. And now Jesus takes the disciples out on a stormy sea. Well, it doesn't start out stormy, but it soon became stormy to show them what it means to trust in the power of God in the midst of a sense of their own weakness as well. So this is field ed. This is field education. And uh, as a, a very ancient tradition associates Mark's gospel, especially with the preaching and the memories of the Apostle Peter, we can almost imagine, since this is Peter's boat that Jesus has been teaching from, and they leave in Peter's boat to go across the sea, Uh, Peter kind of reflecting back on that day and seeing the other boats who were traveling with them and thinking about how things started well as they began to sail off toward the opposite side of the sea, toward actually toward an area that was full of Gentile people, the ten cities over on the south east side of the Sea of Galilee. Everything started well, but then uh, Peter and Andrew sensed the wind coming up. They knew that sea. They knew how easily it could be uh, in the valley where it was, a a place where there would be uh, sudden storms that would come down. Uh, They glanced across at perhaps the other boat. James and John were in one of the other boats, and they knew they were in trouble because they knew this sea very well. And the boat was quickly filling up with the waves that were crashing over it. It was very much like what we sang in Psalm 107. Uh, They mounted up to the heavens on the peak of waves, and then they went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Mark's readers, if they were primarily in Rome, as again, the early tradition says, probably would have immediately said to themselves, well, there's the answer, stay away from the sea. (laughs) Stay on land. Most people in the ancient world were landlubbers in any case. Fishermen were not. The Phoenician traders were not, but most people didn't know how to swim and found the sea a very dangerous, dangerous place. So what would Jesus' lordship over the sea mean to people who had already resolved to stay on land, perhaps even living in the midst of cities? such as Rome or others. Well, in the biblical imagery, the sea was a really a, a symptom uh, in its unpredictability, a symptom of creation gone awry, and particularly of the pagan nations who opposed God, a symptom of creation gone awry, a creation where now weeds grow among the wheat, where cruel predators sometimes steal the best of one's domesticated farm animals or take one's own life, where hurricanes come along with sunshine, where cancer comes along with healthy cells. We are in where we are in the experience of the human race because as a human race, starting with our first father, Adam, we've rebelled against God, and so creation is in rebellion against us as well. And it's appropriate that this text begins a series of passages that show that Jesus is Lord over the things that threaten us because of our rebellion against God. He's the Lord of the storm in our text. He's the Lord over evil spirits in the next chapter as he casts many spirits out of a wild man, a demoniac, uh, who terrorized the area of the 
of the Gerasenes in the Decapolis. He's the Lord over sickness, a woman who'd had a flow of blood for many years. He's the Lord over death itself as he raises the daughter of Jairus. He's the Lord over all these things. He can set right what's wrong with the universe as a result of our sin. And he can conquer the nations. They're heading to a Gentile area. And in the Old Testament, the sea was used as a picture of the Gentile nations who opposed God. Psalm 65, for example. Lord, you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness. The hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. You are God, our Savior, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, we would have been swallowed alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. You see, water becomes, in a biblical worldview, a vivid illustration of the opposing forces of those who defy God. And Mark's congregation, even if they'd never set foot in a boat and never dared to go out on the Mediterranean, they knew what it was like to be opposed by powerful forces. You know what it's like to be opposed by powerful forces by secularism and materialism and other religions opposing the true and living God, by the threats that confront you as individuals, whether it's health problems or financial challenges or disease or depression or whatever it is, you know what it's like to be in the midst of storms. A great storm. And you hear the desperation of the disciples when this great storm evokes from them a question. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Interestingly, three great things in this text and three questions. A great storm, teacher, don't you care? A great calm, Jesus to the disciples. Why are you so fear, fearful? Where's your faith? And then a great fear. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So they're terrified, but Jesus is asleep. He's asleep like Jonah, sleeping through a storm, or so it seems to them. He seems not to care. So they wake him up. What do they want him to do? Well, they want him, no doubt, to pray. That's what the desperate sailors in the Psalms in the psalm did. They prayed. They cried out to the Lord in their distress. That's what, finally, actually, the sailors wanted Jonah to do when they woke him up and said, call on your God. That's what they want Jesus to do, and he surprises them. He gets up, and in his own authority, he commands the threatening storm. Silence. Be muzzled. Quiet. And the great calm comes. Now, why can he do that? Well, obviously, he's the Lord of creation. The psalm gives us the window on that, and we'll come back to that at the end. But he can also do that because he's the one who will undergo the storm for them. That's where this gospel is driving. He will be deluged in the floods of judgment. He will go to the death of the cross under the waves of God's wrath for his people. He will bear the brunt of the storm for these guilty and terrified disciples and for you and for me. He will be buried in the deep for three days, as Jonah was buried in the deep, not because he was defiant of God's command as Jonah was, but because he was obedient to the Father's purpose. Jesus stills the storm, and a great calm 
results. And in the calm, Jesus exposes the feeble faith of his disciples. Field education will do that for you. It's one thing to sit in the classroom and nod about the great truths of the gospel and the power of the Spirit of God that transforms lives. It's another thing to be sitting across from somebody in the midst of counseling and uh, to, to urge them and call them to trust in the promises of God that God will not only forgive them but set them free from the sin that has wrapped itself with poisonous clutches around their hearts. And you'll wonder then, do I really believe this stuff? The disciples, in the, in the crucible of the storm, their faith was shown to be very, very weak. Why are you so cowardly? Do you not yet have faith. Two words actually for fear in this text. The one that Jesus uses, so afraid here, really refers to cowardice. It refers to uh, that sense of being fearful because of an inner weakness, a lack of courage, a lack of moral strength. It's, it's the word that Paul uses when he's encouraging his young uh, uh, apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. So Timothy faced the suffering with courage because God hasn't given us cowardice. They should have known better. Even by this point, so early in the gospel, they should have known better either to think that they were in danger with Jesus with them in the boat or to think that he didn't care. They'd seen him rebuke and silence demons. They'd seen him restore a paralyzed man to full strength. They had seen him heal many diseases. They'd seen his compassion reaching out to touch an unclean leper so that the leper is cleansed, welcoming despised tax collectors. They'd seen his power. They'd seen his compassion. They should have known better. You should know better when you're fearful. Just about a month ago, a little more than that now, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Asia for about two and a half weeks. And the morning that we were to leave from LAX, I didn't want to go in the worst way. I didn't want to go. I thought, what if I get over there and um, our son isn't waiting for us at the airport and I don't speak the language and what if and what if. Now, theoretically, I believe that God is the sovereign of the whole earth, but I'm not so sure, really, emotionally, if it works as well outside of San Diego County. I'm a hobbit designed to stay at home in my hobbit hole, not to go off on adventures. Shame on me! So the Lord designed a little field ed for me to teach me that. Now I've learned it and I'll never face that problem again. That's right, you're supposed to laugh at that one too. You don't know me. Yes, you do. I'm a lot like you. Shame on us. We do believe, and yet at the same time, our faith is so weak. And Jesus says, Look at me, because that's really where we're going with this. You notice the contrast between the psalm and this text? In the psalm, when the Lord stills the storm to this calm, still, glassy sea, they rejoice and they give thanks to the Lord. Here, when the Lord stills the storm to that glassy sea, that calm The disciples really get scared. They fear a great fear, literally the way Mark writes the Greek. They feared a great fear. 
because they said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They realized something of the consuming holiness of the one whom they had had to awaken from an exhausted sleep. The reality of the incarnation, God the Son becomes fully human. He's so weary he can sleep through a storm, so weak. The howling winds and the the water rushing into the boat can't wake him. He's that weak, but at the same time he's that strong that when he commands the storm, it has to obey. And now they're really afraid. Just what they need to be. This is the kind of fear they need. This is the kind of fear we need to realize in an amazing way that the God of the universe, the Holy One, has come right in among us in our boat. And that kind of fear is also the fear that expels from our hearts all the fears of the little stuff. An international flight. Even cancer is little stuff compared with the holiness and the power of Jesus. Who is this? Mark's already been answering that. Mark 1.1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark 1.11. The Father speaks from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Even the demons have to confess. You are the Holy One of God. Mark 1.24. You are the Son of the Most High God. You are the Christ, Peter will confess in a couple chapters the reality of the truth, God become man to save us from the ultimate storm, the perfect storm of our own sin and rebellion by undergoing it for us. And now they fear because they know their own guilt and they begin to realize how dangerous it is to be close to the living God. But he's come not to destroy but to save. Peter would learn the lesson not only of Jesus' power but also of his compassion Here, presumably Peter, along with the rest, is saying to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? In Peter's letter in 1 Peter 5, he says, you throw all your care on him because he cares for you. It matters to him about you. Same verb as we find here. He cares, and he's put his life on the line for it. I don't know your storms today. Some of you maybe are facing the storm of what will I do next? Is this the next place? Excitement, but also a little scary. That's fine. But the Lord knows your storms, and he goes with you through them because he bore the storm of the wrath of the Father, the flood of judgment in your place, and emerged triumphant from the deep, from the grave, and makes good his promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say, this is Hebrews' logic at the end of Hebrews, If the Lord says that to us, we can say, the Lord is my helper. What can people do to me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son in the weakness of our humanity, but also in the power of your divinity, that he comes among us that he stills the storm, that he bears the storm for us and goes with us through the storms that threaten us in our lives because he's endured the great 
storm of your wrath against our sin and come victorious from the grave and lives forever and lives interceding for us at your right hand in the glory of his resurrection body and lives among his people in the glorious power of his Holy Spirit. Write these words deeply into our hearts that we might not be cowardly, but grow strong in faith as our faith is focused on Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.